Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Islam for Christians, episode 65, Biblical Figures in Islam, part 8, Elijah. Elijah did not die. And when Elijah left the earth, he did so in the most dramatic fashion of anyone before or since. Now, true, some might say Enoch was also taken to God. But really, does it matter? How many people even remember that? The details matter in the human mind, and more so the story matters in the human mind, and what is remembered. And compared to Elijah, Enoch's story is just boring. Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind among chariots of fire, which is quite an exit for a man who both lived and died with power and impact. Now, he also did not marry. Elijah, that is. Elijah did not marry. He was a lone voice in the wilderness, unencumbered by the world, and acting in the simple purity that that allows, the purity that comes from that. So, among the Old Testament prophets, Elijah really occupies a unique place in the mind of anyone with a mystical bent, of the mystical mind, in the thoughts of the spiritual seeker. Now that tends to bleed into the New Testament. People thought John the Baptist was Elijah. Good guess. People thought Jesus was Elijah. And why not? After all, Elijah never really died. So if God can take Elijah to heaven, couldn't he just as easily send him back? Reincarnate him, for lack of a better word, into a new prophet? And I understand why many people would have thought that at the time. Because Elijah's life and his deeds as an uncompromising, fearless advocate for the true God, it really activates the religious imagination. And it has done that for thousands of years, just like Jesus. And that imagination is forward-looking, too, like in the book of Malachi. You know, that's important. A major reason people thought John the Baptist was Elijah is because of what the last Old Testament prophet, who was Malachi, because of what he said. I will send you the, pro of course, he's speaking for God. Malachi's not actually saying this. I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. So here's this final idea from the final prophet. It bridges the Old and New Testament and does so using the most malleable and fascinating figure in the Old Testament, who is Elijah. It's only natural Muslims would see the same parallels. Islam is no different, sharing the same fascinations, the same link between Elijah and the two New Testament figures who were similar to Elijah, being John the Baptist and Jesus. The mind is just going to naturally link those figures because it makes sense. And in Islam, one additional mystical figure is usually associated with Elijah. And I don't mean Muhammad. I mean, the mysterious man in green from the Quran, Khadr. I went over the story of Khadr in the Moses episode, so I won't go into too great detail introducing him here. 
if you want to read his story, see the Quran, Surah 18, verses 60 to 82. Basically, Khadr, K-H-I-D-R, he takes Moses, of all people, on a mystical journey and teaches him lessons. So this figure is greater in wisdom than Moses, and perhaps greater in stature. But he shares the same kind of interchangeable mystery that Elijah does. So perhaps they still wander the earth dispensing wisdom. You know, perhaps they attend the Hajj pilgrimage every year together, Elijah and Ketter, or, you know, any other mysterious figure you want to put in there. Because after all, they're not really dead. And who would recognize them anyway? There is a malleability to those characters that's so genius, like an adaptability, a quality that makes it possible to just plug them into so many situations. I mean, even the Cutter story, you know, the person he was showing around didn't really need to be Moses. It just was. It could have been almost anyone, um, or at least anyone with, you know, high stature in the religious mind. But, you know, these characters, they're almost like a universal replacement part for spiritual storytelling. And this is true. But at the same time, the specifics matter as well. You know, and it's it's that combination of the sort of ambiguity and the specifics of the Elijah story that makes him so memorable. You know, there, so there are specific reasons Elijah is so memorable. And for Muslims, one of those specifics could simply be that Elijah kind of reminds them of Muhammad. And another reason Elijah would sort of tickle the Muslim imagination are the many similarities between Elijah and Muhammad, at least in their goals. Elijah made an uncompromising stand against the pagan powers of the time, just like Muhammad did. He did the same thing with the pagans in Mecca. Elijah had a license to kill to restore the worship of the true God, just like Muhammad did. And both did so, although Elijah used heavenly fire while Muhammad used his own soldiers. And that is a theme comparing the two. Muhammad is far less dramatic than Elijah. For example, Muhammad's miracle was a book and a revelation that is just nothing like the dramatic miracles of Elijah. So both were attempting to restore a monotheism from a community that they thought had lost its way. The Israelites in the divided kingdom for Elijah and for Muhammad, the Meccans, uh, who Muhammad believed were once monotheists under Ishmael, but no longer were. So to help you see that, let me just give a quick rundown of Elijah's time so you can see the parallels here. Elijah lived in a time when the kingdom had split apart, and the northern kingdom was enshrining and normalizing the pagan practices that would tarnish the ten northern tribes forever and kill them forever, really. They would not come back from this. You know, and that, that was just calamity number one, the breakup of the kingdom after Solomon and the spiritual calamity of abandoning the true worship of the true God, at least in the northern kingdom. Now, that would be followed by a more physical calamity in a few hundred years, which was the exile of Babylonia <laughs> into Babylonia and the destruction of the first temple, 
That was calamity number two. So now we fast forward to 7th century Mecca, and along comes this guy, Muhammad. Now, Muhammad's people had fallen out of true worship, although it really had been for an extremely long time, thousands of years, since they had been giving Allah the proper respect, back to the more mysterious and unverifiable time of Abraham. So here comes this Elijah-type figure. Not a celibate man in the wilderness, but one who lived a normal life up until then, and comes with an uncompromising message, telling these pagans to worship the true God, you know, like you did before, like you ought to do. This person vanquishes his foes, and gives a slight twist in the pattern of destruction mentioned before, because Mecca had a far less dramatic destruction, and largely avoided punishment, you know, it wasn't wiped off the map. It wasn't completely gone like the 10 northern tribes of Israel. Instead of a foreigner coming in and destroying the Kaaba, one of their own returns from exile, that being Muhammad, and he leaves the Kaaba intact but smashes all the idols within it. And you know, that's a funny historical twist because if the biblical pattern had been followed, if it had been exactly like Elijah, you know, the invaders from Yemen would have destroyed the Kaaba in 570. You know, just as the Babylonians and Romans had destroyed past temples. And you know, these were monotheists attacking the Arab pagans too, which is even more funny. But instead, the Christian invaders are repelled, the pagan Kaaba is saved, but Muhammad is born that same year and then later restores the Kaaba rather than destroying it. So it's not exactly the same, but it's kind of similar. You can almost think about Muhammad as a rewriting of Elijah's story, but with a happy ending. So Elijah is eh, kind of like Muhammad. And Elijah is mysterious and interesting enough to be a part of Islam. So how about some actual Islamic stories about Elijah? Most Islamic narratives about Elijah come from later fanciful storytellers, like the idea I mentioned earlier of Elijah and Qatar attending the Hajj every year. But there's not much from the more concrete sources. By that I mean the Quran and the Hadith. But Elijah is mentioned in the Quran. He is called Ilyas, and there are really only two Quranic passages about him. Maybe two and a half. I'll get to that. But this is the only portion that is significantly centered on Elijah. And it's short enough, so I'll just read it for you. This is Surah 37, verses 123 to 132. I'll use the Mustafa Khatab translation. And Ilyas was indeed one of the messengers. Remember when he said to his people, Will you not fear Allah? Do you call upon the idol of Baal and abandon the best of creators, Allah, your Lord and the Lord of your forefathers? But they rejected him, so they will certainly be brought for punishment. But not the chosen servants of Allah. We blessed him with honorable mention among later generations. Peace be upon Ilyas. Indeed, this is how we reward the good doers. He was truly one of our faithful servants. 
So yeah, a lot of nice words, but really story-wise, there's not a whole lot there. And thus the early emphasis I was placing on the idea of Elijah rather than just a narrative figure called Elijah. And this, uh, the passage I just read, it pretty much squares with the biblical narrative, the part of the story where Elijah calls on the people to turn from Baal and to the true God. And really, it's the shortest summary of Elijah I have ever seen. You know, it even implies their eventual doom that did come, obviously. But summaries are not stories. And the Quran did leave out the more dramatic parts of Elijah's life, funny enough. Now, Elijah's other mention in the Quran is in Surah 6, verses 85 to 86. Likewise, we guided Zechariah, John, Jesus, Ilyas, remember that's Elijah, who were all of the righteous. We also guided Ishmael, Elisha, Jonah, and Lot, favoring each other over people of their time. So let's focus on that first line. Zechariah, John, Jesus, and Elijah. What's the pattern there? Well, first of all, we should probably decide which Zechariah they're talking about, or say the Quran is talking about. The Old Testament, Zechariah, or the New Testament, Zechariah? Now, in this case, I think it's pretty safe to say this is the New Testament figure, the father of John the Baptist. It just seems logical because the two lines before this one are talking about Abraham and his descendants, and Noah and his descendants. So it's probably talking about the New Testament, Zechariah, and his descendant, John the Baptist. So we have Zechariah, who fathered John the Baptist, who paved the way for Jesus. And then Elijah at the end. What to make of that? A throw-in, perhaps? Or is there something those four have in common? Or maybe just the last three, John, Jesus, and Elijah the mystics, the unmarried, the unfettered, unburdened men of spirit. And then you may have noticed I read a second line after that. And I did that for a single name in there. You may have noticed I said Elisha <laughs> very plainly because it's so easy to mix up Elijah and Elisha. So this was Elisha with the SH. Now, spiritually, Elisha was like Elijah's son, and in a way, shared a sort of spiritual DNA, an inherited spiritual DNA. Or I shouldn't say inherited, actually, a given spiritual DNA that was given to Elisha by Elijah. And I mention this just so that you know that the great Elisha, the successor to Elijah, did make the cut in the Quran. It's just an honorable mention, but hey, that's still a pretty major accomplishment. I'm not going to assume everyone knows who Elisha is and why he is basically Elijah's son. Um, so just let me tell you, he was said to have been given a double dose of Elijah's power um, as sort of his successor. And because of this, Elisha, he's known as a pro prolific miracle worker. 
but he also played a key role in the downfall of Jezebel, you might remember, basically completing Elijah's work in that regard. And Elijah, Elisha with the SH, Elijah number two, the son, Elisha, but not really the son, the spiritual son. Elisha is mentioned in one other passage in the Quran, in Surah 38, verse 48. Also remember Ishmael, Elisha, and Zulkafal. All are among the best. Now that last name, Zulkafal, in case you're wondering who that is, I don't know who that is either. No one does. It might be an Old Testament prophet. It might just be some random generic righteous man. I'll actually cover this. Uh, in an upcoming episode on Ezekiel. Um, so look forward to that. I'll, I'll explain it in much greater detail. But the key person there is Elisha. Although the Quran doesn't really say Elisha, it says Al-Yasa'a. And that's an ayin at the end, not an A. But it's clear it's referencing the person we know as Elisha. There's not a whole lot being said here about Elisha, it's just a reference to a previously known figure who is an example of a righteous man, of a messenger of God. But, as always, Elisha is always linked to Elijah, in name and deed. So, let me finish with a bit more on the big guy, the great Elijah. Now, earlier I said there were two and a half passages in the Quran about Elijah. And the reason I said that is he might be mentioned in another one, but that person might also be Enoch. Many commentators I've read think it's Elijah, as do many of the earliest Quranic scholars, but some also think it's Enoch, and they go as far as to simply just put his name directly in the text of the translation. The reason this is so mysterious is because the Quran doesn't use the word Ilyas, like in the other references. It uses the word Idris. Now, who is Idris? I don't know. No idea. I don't know. I should have mentioned, by the way, this is Surah 19, verses 56 to 57. So let me read this for you. And it's only two lines. And make mention in the scripture of Idris. Lo, he was a saint, a prophet, and we raised him to high station. So, who is it? Both sides have a point. The Elijah side and the Enoch side. If it's Elijah, why the different name? And if it's Enoch, why not just be more specific and say his name? This Idris character is mentioned twice in the Quran both times without much detail. So it's possible it's just a catch-all term for a mysteriously righteous, godly man, which is, somewhat interestingly, the way Elijah has been viewed throughout the centuries, you know, from people in the present looking back at the past. And this particular man, this Idris, he was raised to a high station. And who were the non-Jesus characters who ascended to heaven? Enoch and Elijah. Now that verse, we raised him, 
it can be taken several different ways. The Arabic verb does mean to raise, but it can mean a million different things, like a promotion, for example. And becoming a prophet is certainly a promotion, as is uh, getting an exalted status in heaven. So it could mean, you know, that more of a figurative promotion, or it could mean a literal bodily promotion, raising a body to heaven, perhaps. And that's the beauty of religious texts. There is simultaneously the literal and then the more spiritual undercurrent to it. And this is a perfect example of that. And really, Elijah is the personal embodiment of this idea of holy ambiguity, of divine mystery. Elijah is much more than a man and much more than a prophet. Yes, he did very prophet-like things, and he did what he had to do on earth. But with Elijah, much like with a religious text, he activates the spiritual imagination. When we read a particularly jarring spiritual text, we are looking to the skies. And when we think about Elijah, we are also looking to the skies. Because for all we know, Elijah is still up there. And maybe down here. Or both. That's Elijah. In Islam, as in Christianity, he is the man, the myth, the enigma. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Inshallah. Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.